Dr. Kurt Perkins, and I'm Andrea Tapia, owner of CrossFit Continuum. And we've received a lot of questions recently as we've evolved with the nutrition program about how to address nutrition with the kiddos. How do we get them to eat healthy? How do we get them on track with the things that we're doing right now? And so we're going to answer some of your questions and just kind of talk a little bit about how we approach kids' nutrition in our households. Cool. I think the biggest thing to figure out is we want to do stuff for the kids, but unless the parents are doing it first, like it's done. So if, if you have questions, how do you get your kid to eat such and such or how to do this? Like, unless you're doing it and modeling it first, like don't even try to get your kid to do it. So like, I think role modeling has got to be the first and foremost of any success for, for each child nutrition program. But, um, we'll address some specifics through the community and see where we go from there. Cool. All right, we'll start with just answering some of the questions that we got from our members, and then Kurt also put a, a, a message out there and probably got a few questions from there as well. Um, one of the first questions we were asked is, how food contributes to autoimmune diseases commonly found in children? So specific cases would be things like asthma, um, eczema, different things like that, and can you or how do you use food to reverse the effects? So that's a loaded question um, with lots of context around it. And, and usually with autoimmune, someone comes up with a question about leaky gut. And I would say that they're hand in hand. But I would also get you to think that leaky gut's not a disease or a condition, um, but an intelligent adaptation. And so we were, all, like, we were all born with leaky gut. If we didn't, we wouldn't have survived. Um, and, and the purpose of that is mom breastfeeds us and we don't have a primitive or don't have a mature immune system. So mom's antibodies have to go through that gut line and get into the bloodstream and provide a layer of protection until the baby starts to mature and starts to develop its own full fledged immune response. The problem is we prolong that maturity by intervening too early. And so if you look at the nervous system aspect of it, if we divide it in two, one side is to help us stay protected, one's to help us grow and repair. And with a baby, especially up through two years there, two years old, we should be more in balance towards that growth and kind of repair phase and not so much the protection phase. And you'll see this with like, I don't know, kids learning to walk and they'll smash their face. And if we did that, we'd come up with bruises and bloody and all that where they may have this mild bump. And that's because the body will sacrifice an immune response to continue brain development, nervous system development, and those types of things. So if we go back to being born with a leaky gut and that maturity aspect of it, can it, where does it contribute to autoimmune and asthma and allergies and all that type of stuff is that we start introducing things too early, and that could be physical, chemical, emotional, medical, all those types of things on a gut that's not supported. So it's basically essentially just passing through into the bloodstream. And if we start, as the, as the maturity starts developing, then the body starts mounting immune response against that. So you'll see the big food allergies are wheat, peanut, soy, corn, dairy. And a lot of times those are the first foods that we're feeding kids. So the question was, I'm way off track now, but... <laughs> <clears throat> just about um, 
how food contributes to autoimmune diseases and can we reverse the effects by making different choices of um, food types? Yes. So kind of going back to that, if, if the immune response is already on alert, if there's inflammatory things going on, that's going to shift the gut towards more of an immune response opposed away from digestive things. And so the more we kind of figure out what foods are big triggers for people, remove those. That's one aspect of it but also then feeding the right things um, to heal it up. And I would say that's where fat comes into play, that we go from a baby who is eating primarily fat through breast milk and we cut it off immediately and we go to an instant high-carb diet with foods that aren't easy digestible on an immature system. So I think kind of going back to how did a baby develop, we can start shifting foods that way. So adding a lot more fat into a kid's diet um, and hopefully by now the myth fat, eating fat makes you fat is over, but I'm sure we're still going to fight through that the next 40 years. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where I would start. And so we've kind of all our first foods with our kids were more fat-based. Like we tried avocado, like some liked it, some didn't. But um, we introduced bacons and meat and butter and higher fat stuff to kind of ease into the transition of solid foods. Do you feel like there is a timeline that is ideal when, because I know a lot of moms have um, brand new babies or are about to have babies. I have a 16-month-old. So do you feel like there's a timeline that, you know, is a good, appropriate time to start introducing foods? Because I know some of the research now or some of the doctors will start recommending that we start feeding our kids solid foods at four months of age, which I think is a little bit too too young. Um, do you have a good timeline as to when we should start to introduce things like solid foods into a baby system? I mean, the later the better is kind of my, whatever that looks like. Um, for us, we, my wife breastfed till 16, 18 months, but we started introducing solids probably around that 11 month mark. Okay. So at whatever, 16, 18, then they were kind of fully integrated into solids only at that point. So it's just a slower transition point and all that. And I know there's different scenarios and circumstances with things like that, but um, I think the more you can delay solids, I mean, I guess especially if they don't have teeth, like how they breaking down, like I saw a kid with no teeth eating steak. I'm like, how is that possible? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, even though like I'm a big fan of steak, there's, there's scenario and, and kind of circumstance around when to start that. So the, the further out, the better. Um yeah. Good, good. good. <clears throat> awesome. Um, the next question that we had was regarding nutrition at school. So um, what should my kids be eating at school um, and help or ideas for healthy school snacks or lunches that would fit into a nut-free classroom or school environment? And kind of end point to that question is what they're eating. Does that have a direct um, correlation to their behavior and performance? Lots of, <laughs> <laughs> lots of questions within a question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the nut free aspect of it, like fruit is phenomenal jerky. Yeah. Just, you can make a lot of simple choices there. Like whether your kid's going to eat it or not, that's a different story. <laughs> We're on the beginning part of that aspect with our oldest going into first grade. 
Um, he doesn't have enough free class, so we don't haven't had to cross that bridge yet. Mm. But I don't know. Your kids are older, so. So the unfortunate thing about my two older kids is that we waited much longer in this process to get them on track. So I feel like we've got balance of or, or learning experiences of one being introduced really from the very beginning, um, which is Noah, and you know making sure that we developed really healthy eating steps with him. Where with my two older boys, um, we we learned as we went and and are still learning, and so. At this point in time, um, they're, it's hard because they're middle school kids and high school kids, and so they have access to whatever they want to have over the course of the day. They can go to the cafeteria and get whatever they want. They can get snacks from the vending machine. And so I feel like that's a work in progress for us. Um, I don't control as much of what they eat over the course of the day at their school lunch but I do make sure that they're starting out the morning and their evening with a meal that is going to support um, good healthy eating habits online with what we're doing. So I, I know when it comes time for sending Noah to school, um, what I would plan on doing moving forward would be packing a, a lunch for him as opposed to letting him eat the school lunch because the quality of food that they serve, I don't believe sets them up for good behavior or performance or, or brain power as they're learning over the course of the day. And that leads into what's the research behind, <coughs> excuse me, food and behavior. I don't think you ever need a formal study. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'll get in this conversation with other kind of really traditional trained practitioners, whether MDs or nurses or whatever, and they'll argue there's no link between what you eat and behavior. And I'll just be like, hey, let's go have a few beers and talk about it. <laughs> and most of the time, it goes right over their head. They're like, I don't get it. I'm like, I'll lick your app. You're going to change your behavior quite right. a bit. And so I think kids have, or people have accepted kids are just going to act crazy because they're kids. But I would beg to differ with that, that if you've eaten clean and you send them to grandma and grandma's house and they load them up and then mm-hmm. they send you back or you're going to notice a big difference in your kid. And if you've never eaten clean and you think they're crazy, just do an experiment. Do your own own research, like your N equals one kind of research. Figure out how your kids react to different foods. And um, yeah, like I think it's ridiculous if people poo-poos the notion that food and behavior aren't linked at all. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a definite correlation. I, I don't have the science behind it for sure, but um, watching my boys, even as little kids, when we would have the birthday party and they would have cake and sugary punch and all of a sudden they're AWOL and bouncing off the walls and, and you couldn't really figure out what was going on. And then you started to put the pieces together and realize that the red punch and the sugar and the cake and all of those things definitely had a strong impact in their behavior was, was really just eye-opening. Um, my oldest, I think, struggles a little bit with um, ADHD. Never had him diagnosed, Um, but when he is eating better, he's a much more focused child and is able to complete tasks on point much, much easier than when he's got, uh, for a better, lack of a better word, crap food in his diet. And so, you know, it's important for us, especially when he's in a learning environment that he's eating well, he's eating healthy fats, he's eating protein, he's eating fruits and vegetables primarily as a source of food. Um, and, and it, definitely makes a huge difference in in his learning style and and his behavior and performance. So yeah, I agree. Definitely a a direct impact based off of what we're eating. Cool. 
good, good. Okay. Um, this one's kind of a this one's kind of a tricky one here. So we're talking about how to have conversations about nutrition. We'll we'll tackle this from two points with the little ones and helping them understand the reason why we make healthy choices. And then having the same discussion with teenagers, in particular teenage girls, and helping them understand the difference between eating healthy foods, eating enough of the right quality of foods versus being skinny and not eating to be skinny. I have zero equip for the whole girl question. <laughs> I have three boys um, that are six, four, and two, so body image thing has never come up to me. Like <laughs> I don't feel like my wife has ever struggled with that. So okay. we haven't had any of the psycho psychological stuff at home regarding that. Um, so I'm going to defer on that one, but I think getting like the conversation thing, I think that's where we work really hard. Um, and it's, I don't know, kids are smart, like play up that they're smart opposed to playing down that they're stupid. And so we're making choices and like, well, why does so-and-so get to eat this? And, and I don't know, hopefully my friends aren't listening, but I'm like, do you want me to be a good daddy or a bad daddy? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, a good dad gives you stuff that gets you smart and makes you strong and fast and all this type of stuff. And or do you want me to be a bad daddy and give you stuff that makes you tired and dumb and whatever it is, like all the negative qualities. And I'm like, why don't you be a good daddy? I'm like, great. This is why we eat this stuff then. And so that's one thing that's constantly on repeat with, with kids. Um, or probably the other one we're working on with our four-year-old is he's our, he's one we have to watch. Like he's just, he's our sneaky one, kind of our <laughs> pathological liar. And at grandma and grandpa's house found like this wad of Hershey's kisses. And then we found a wad of wrappers to go with it. <laughs> So with him, they've watched enough things or heard enough TV where they talk about bad germs. And they're like, well, germs make you sick. I'm like, partly, but notice how your friends are getting sick and you're not. And then we'll talk about um, like essentially white blood cells, like your immune system, how those are your internal ninjas. And so they're all about ninja stuff. So, hmm. or whatever it is, Star Wars and, and it's... I'll make the conversation around you have to keep the ninjas strong and would this food hurt your ninjas or would it help your ninjas? And when your ninjas are strong, then it fights off the bad stuff and you can keep going. And so they don't always follow through with that, but it's starting to get their peak. Like, Hey, like they'll even say some things like, Hey, is this good for my ninjas or whatever? Right. And you're I'm like, what? I'm like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah. So I think it's for them just, wording it in a way they understand, but also talking to them like they're intelligent and not a dictator with some of that stuff. I think that's a good point. I think um, having some real honest conversations with the kids, um, having had the family history that we have, we've lost um, both of Jimmy's parents to diabetes and cancer. Um, I have a grandmother who is... Um, walking the road of, of Alzheimer's now. Um, and so there's a lot of 
things that the kids have been exposed to and seen growing up. And so it's a it's an easy discussion for us to put that back on the quality of foods that they're eating. So um, nutritionally, we were not very sound growing up. We made poor choices because we grew up knowing what our parents fed us and had to learn differently. Um, and so we have that open conversation. You know, we didn't know better when we were growing up, but now your parents do know better. And we don't want to see you walk that road, and we don't want to walk that road. And so we make better choices to support a long lifestyle. We want to live as long as we can possibly live and, and live a good life, live a life with vitality. So we have those conversations quite a bit. I think a lot of it is patience with the process. I think parents maybe try a couple of things and get frustrated because kids are stubborn and headstrong and and they tend to want to fight back a little bit in that department or mine do and so it's just continuing to stick with the process um and explaining to them the understanding why so we do a lot of correlation between um you know if they've gone and they've had cake at a birthday party or or whatever the case may be and they come home and their stomach hurts um having that conversation well how do you feel right now after you had that piece of cake or that soda or whatever the case may be you know and they say that they don't feel very well and putting that correlational it's because of the sugar that you had in your system that you have a tummy ache right now and so hopefully that's equipping them to eventually make better choices on their own so that they don't continue to they they know how bad food makes them feel and they know how good food makes them feel i think that's important to build those those um correlations for them yeah i think those connections are vital like if the dog throws up, we immediately think, what did the dog eat? Mm-hmm. When our kid throws up, we're like, oh, he needs an antibiotic or <laughs> medication. We're like, well, no. Like, treat your dog and your kid the same way. Like, they'll be like, oh, don't feed the dog the potato chips. It'll make him sick. Here, you eat them instead. Like, <laughs> that does not make sense. Like, So I think if you treat your kid like a plant or a dog, you'd have a lot more confidence that they're they're getting what they need and and – you're not making mistakes. I think that's the bigger part is we, as parents, they tend to go to the guilt trip so fast because um, kids can be vocal and complain a lot. And yeah, we're just suckers for it. So Yeah, I think it's important to understand that while they think that they're being punished for it, it's the opposite. And you're doing you're hurting your kids more by giving in to that and allowing them to have the things that they want to have. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of standing firm and reversing the process and, and, you know, again, explaining the reasons why we're taking these steps along the way and dealing with those battles in the short term so that you're not dealing with bigger issues down the road. Um, on the teenage side of things, um, I know with the nutrition coaching that we've added into Continuum right now, I have a couple of families that have teenagers in the mix. And so as we coach one, we're coaching everybody in the family. And it's important to focus on, again, health, performance, brain power, and those sorts of things as opposed to how is this food going to make my body look? Am I going to lose weight? Am I going to be skinny? Um, you know, so-and-so is not eating and she's skinny like those are the those are conversations that we want to steer clear of with the kids and focus more on how does nutrition help you perform I know as a teenage girl body image becomes a a very 
important thing and, and priority. And I feel like that's where a lot of bad eating habits become developed. But again, I think it's the parents setting that, that course for them and teaching them how eating the right amounts of healthy foods are going to help them ultimately have exactly what it is that they're really wanting to achieve, um, be it better performance as an athlete, better grades, um, whatever that happens to be, by by fueling our our body with the right types of foods. Um, I don't know. Do you have any more on that one? That one's kind of a tough topic. I think from a psychological standpoint, it's just a comparison game. Like we always compare our worst trait to someone else's best. And if you're going to play that game, then you have to compare all of their life to all of your life. And so you may single out the one great thing about each person, but the rest of their life's a train wreck. And you're comparing their best to your worst where the rest of your life's like phenomenal. You just have that one thing you're not satisfied with. Um, so again, I don't know. Yeah. But teenage girls, I have no idea. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Really focus on the health aspect of things. Being healthy internally is going to lead to being healthy externally as well. Chances are if they're eating the right types of foods, if they are concerned about body image, those things will all come into line as they continue to eat well and eat right. Um, But we really try to avoid talking about physique. I don't generally do body composition numbers on the teenagers. I'll do, you know, a quick weight um, just so I kind of have a – a benchmark for myself to keep track of, but that's not really information that I share with them. I don't take their measurements. I try to avoid any of that because I feel like that just leads to a lot of um, potentially negative factors. We don't have them weigh themselves. We put the scale away. It's all based on feel. What was your energy like today? How did you do in school? How did you do in sports? Do you feel good overall? Those are the, the big factors. And I think those are just conversations that parents need to continue on with as well good on that topic i think so okay um see what else we have in here what should kids eat post-workout um i think think it all depends on the activity level like we're in whatever peewee league soccer and i feel like so the whole game is 20 minutes long like max and they've got a snack at halftime they've got a snack afterwards (laughs) i'm just like give it a break like so, yeah, I think it all depends on, on what the activity level is. Um, but what I would feel with after workout would be no different kind of composition of food that I would eat at a normal meal type of thing. Right. Um, just more the timing of it. If you need to eat quite, like, yeah, if you just need more calorie load because depending on activity stuff. But I wouldn't, I don't know, keep it simple. I wouldn't do anything necessarily, like, super different. Yeah. I agree. Just a small snack or meal post-workout. For those of us that have slightly older kids that are doing the same CrossFit workouts that we're doing, think about how you handle your post-workout nutrition. Um, My boys, we we use a a cleaner quality protein, so I feel confident in them having a protein shake afterwards with a little bit of applesauce or half a banana or something along those lines. Um, but I would be equally as happy if they had a little bit of, of protein, you know, some chicken breast and some of a sweet potato afterwards. Um, but I'm not too, too focused on post-workout nutrition at this particular stage. 
as they get a little older and a little more sport specific, we might explore that a little bit more. But for your kiddos that are coming in and doing a workout with you, you know, think about what you're doing. And if, if you're fueling properly after a workout, chances are what you do should be pretty well appropriate for the kiddos as well, as long as all ingredients are clean. Agreed. Um, the junk food question. How do we handle the kids wanting junk food? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it comes back to the whole, do you want me to be a good parent or bad parent? Mm-hmm. Um, I think also I haven't done it yet, but I'm toying with the binge idea of like, great, you want that? We're going to sit down and eat a gallon of this <laughs> to make you sick. <laughs> So you have this negative experience associated with this food of hopefully throwing up and never wanting it again. Mm. But I haven't done that yet. I don't know if my wife's on board with that one. <laughs> we, um, we don't have it in the house. It, it, the minute that you have those types of foods in the house, I feel like you're banking on not only your willpower, but you're asking your kids to have this tremendous willpower to stay away from eating those types of foods. So if it's a negative food that you don't want them to have on a regular basis, you shouldn't have it in your home. Um, I do live a little bit more on the side of, um, you know, balance from time to time. We'll go out and we'll have a treat occasionally. And if that's the case, it's a treat outside of the home and not treats brought into the home. Um, we're not perfect. We, we for sure stumble and have make mistakes along the way. Um, but again, the big picture is taking all of those steps forward. So, you know, a long time ago, we cleared out all junk food out of the house. We don't have chips. We don't have soda. We don't have candy. Um, so if we want something along those lines, we have to go out and actually go to a store to get it and it's consumed outside of the home as opposed to in the home. I think that's probably one of the easiest ways to keep your kids from wanting junk food and then replacing it with healthy fruits and vegetables and things that are cut up and easily accessible to them so that they can snack when they feel like they, they want to snack. Yeah. I mean, point of purchase is always the big thing. Like you'll rate every cupboard before you actually get in your car and go down the street and get Mm -hmm. something you'll give up at before before leaving the home. So yeah, that's, that's the, the biggest win is just not bringing it in. I agree. Um, should kids stop eating at a certain time at night? Uh, depends if you want to go to bed or not. <laughs> like I see a lot of parents complain that their kids don't go to bed. Right. But I don't know. I think, they fall into the trap of now I'm hungry and now I'm thirsty and I'm mm-hmm. like, so yeah, cut it off. Yeah. Um, like we, I don't know, we usually have dinner 6.30-ish and then bedtime 7.30. So they're eating actually pretty close to bedtime, but once we're done, we're done. We're not like, there's no offer of something else and they don't ever ask for that. Like, agree. So... Yeah, I agree. We we tend to eat on the later side because of boys' sports, or I might work later in the evening and not get home until 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. So dinner is generally on the later side for us, but it's dinner. Everybody sits down. Everybody eats together. We're going to eat what we eat, and then the kitchen is cleaned up, and everybody goes to bed or whatever it is. And I have older kids, so I don't have to worry so much about trying to get them down for bed. Um, but even Noah will sit down and eat dinner. Um 
he wraps up the end of the evening um, with a little bit of, of a bottle before he goes to bed and then he's out. So there's not that constant, you know, well, I want a snack now or I want dessert now or whatever we have for dinner, whatever we have on the table is what we eat when we're done. It all gets put away and cleared up. So I don't know that there's necessarily a certain time, like you've got to stop eating by six o'clock at night or, or whatever. I think it is based on your routine. But I think when dinner is done, dinner is just done and we shouldn't be offering up snacks or desserts or other opportunities for them to continue to eat as the night continues on. I think that's kind of what they were what they were asking there. Um, how do you, Kurt, get your kids involved in how you guys eat over the course of the day. I know for you guys, you kind of cultivated that, that environment from the get-go, but do you involve your kids in meal prep? Do you allow them choices? Do they just eat the same thing that you guys eat every night? Yeah, we pretty much, like, breakfast is pretty much the same every day, eggs and fruit, lunch. That's my wife's home with them, so it can be leftovers from the night before. It can be some sort of protein and veggies or whatever it is and then dinner is usually like meat and veggie type of thing um so they've only known it that way essentially but i think now the older two i don't know we're getting them more involved as far as like meal prep like like the past couple weeks like i'm letting them crack the eggs as we're making the eggs in the morning and um we're mixing stuff or i don't know just things like that but I think we haven't let them be picky to get picky. Like mm. we've never rewarded them for not eating. Like, I think that's the, people are like, how do you get your kids to eat that? I'm like, I don't reward them for not eating it. Where mm. if there's something served, they don't like it. Well, there's no other option. Right. We're not going to make something separate for them. We're not going to give them something more of what they like just so they have a full belly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of the process they know is like, Hey, if I don't eat this, like I'm kind of screwed until the next the next meal so if i really don't like it then they'll take that 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 consequence of not eating versus i can manipulate you guys to give me something else i think that's a good a good point um the way that we structure our meal prep we have generally two or three different types of protein and a variety of veggies and fruits kind of cut up and prepared at the beginning of the week Um, So one of the things that I think has been helpful is allowing the kids to pick within what is already prepared. So if we have chicken, steak, and ground beef, they can pick any one of those options plus a vegetable and a healthy fat to go with their meal, um, but they're not going to get anything outside of that. So same thing. We've got hard limits as far as, you know, you're not going to go rummaging through the refrigerator to find something different. Um, you know, and so that gives them a little bit of choice, I suppose, in the matter. If you have, if you feel like you're de- dealing with difficulty and them not having any choice or any say in it, um, but it's still within the parameters of the things that we think that they're able to eat. And then I think getting the kids involved in meal prep is important. Getting them accustomed to, you know, I have older boys again, but learning to fire up the grill and grill a piece of chicken, learning to scramble some eggs and cook those in a skillet. 
the more we can teach our kids to learn to prepare healthy foods since now, the better equipped they're going to be. Because it's a very common thing that I hear through nutrition coaching that people just don't know how to cook or they overcomplicate the cooking process. So teaching the kids how to meal prep, how to cook, you know, some vegetables in advance or whatever the case may be. So they always have food on hand to eat in the right types of foods. I think is a fun way to get them involved. They're a little bit more likely to fix something that they've prepared. Um, and it's also setting them up to learn to step out into the world and take care of themselves from a nutrition standpoint as well. Like I'll modify my answer that the kids don't have choices. Like my wife will meal plan. She tries to do like the whole month at one time. I mean, just kind of rotate the same meals every 10 days or so. But she'll ask the kids like, what do you guys want to eat? So if they like burgers, great. We'll do burgers. We just don't do the bun and we'll throw avocado on it and saute onions and have whatever sides with it. Our chicken wings is a big one for us. Like mm-hmm. we bake those quite a bit. And so, yeah, I guess they're, they do have choices within some input in what we eat um, in the planning stage, but not once the meal's prepped and already delivered. Mm-hmm. Good. Um. As far as questions from the members, that's pretty much what I have. Is there anything, any other topics that you wanted to tackle or discuss? Um, I think, I guess it depends on what someone's looking to get out. Like, with, if you're trying to treat a certain condition or all that, food's going to be the first place to start. But there's got to be a ton of other variables going into it so that's where as a parent you can like why is that kid eat that stuff and he doesn't get sick where my kid always does and you have to look back through their health history like how was pregnancy how was delivery how is have they been to antibiotics that's going to change how they process like there's just all these other variables that you have to look back through your history and kind of take account for before laying hey that nutrition thing worked or that nutrition thing didn't work mm-hmm. um Self-experimentation, just like we talk about with ourselves, we have to play with a few things to identify what's helping our body respond really well and what's not. And we have to take those steps to identify that. And it's no different than than with your kids. If you notice that your kids are getting sick over and over and over again, I think you need to take the steps to identify what it is that you're feeding them on a regular basis or what they're exposed to and, and do some experimentation about what you think would be a good a a good thing to remove, a good thing to add in. I think as a whole, one of the things lacking in a lot of people's diets are healthy fats. As, As a whole, that's just one thing that I see people very reluctant to add in or they forget to add into their daily meals. And it's equally as good for the kids as it is for the adults. So, you know, I, I think there can be this concept of kids meal versus adult meal. Like my kids should eat something different than I'm eating. And, you know, it's very opposite. Your kids should be eating exactly what you're eating, including the healthy fats. Um, So I think that's just one thing to keep in mind. They might have a smaller portion, but they can eat it exactly the same things, age-appropriate, of course, as what you're doing. And if you're having issues with (laughs) digestive health or or you're getting sick all the time, I think a good place for you to to explore is, is looking at what you're eating on a regular basis as well. Yeah, I think people are more apt to do stuff for their kids, but not themselves. And it's not, they're always going to be frustrated. Agree. Because then their kids will pick up on that behavior as well. And then it just it'll become generational. And... Yeah. 
that actually brings up a good topic about self-talk. I think um, as we're working through nutrition processes and cleaning up diets and, and whatever it is that we're working through at this particular point with food, be super aware of what it is that you're the, the things that you're saying aloud when you're eating. So if you're frustrated with your eating habits and you say things like, I can't do this, or I don't like vegetables, or, you know, I feel fat when I eat too much food, or whatever the case may be, your little ears pick up on all of that and internalize that, and they start to mimic the same behaviors. So you know, really, really focus on the positive side of food, the positive side of nutrition, what good food is doing for you versus, you know, the opposite of that. Because I, that's one common thing I hear a little bit is um, kiddos are expressing that they're concerned that they're fat and that they shouldn't have a meal or, you know, that they can't, they can't go to a birthday party because they're afraid they're going to get fat because of what they're eating. That dialogue is coming from home, and I think you have to identify that and and stop it immediately. That's just a hard, like there are no excuses at that point. You need to you need to regulate the conversations that you're having so that they're not internalizing that because you're molding their future behaviors regarding food and nutrition. Yeah, I've seen that with friends and family where now that I guess I do have experience with teenage girls, but um, and that they'll make comments like the teenage girls make comments like, oh, I'm not going to eat, or I ate that, it's going to make me so fat. And I was like, where would you hear that? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it was at school or somewhere else, but like a lot of times you'll see it coming from the mom and dad. Yeah, absolutely. We are paving their way. What we do, the life that we live, the example that we set is paving the way for our kids. And like Kurt said, we can either be a good parent or we can be a bad parent and live the right example but it starts with us first so. Kurt I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what you do from you know maybe just a standpoint of helping identify digestive issues or well I think like if someone has a digestive issue yeah, or just like how if if you're searching for help, I need additional help, um, and you've gone through nutrition coaching and you're still not seeing either the results that you want to see or you're not feeling the way that you want to feel or you're still dealing with autoimmune conditions or thyroid conditions or anything along those lines, what kind of role and what kind of things can you do to help that out? Well, I think for me it's, it's breaking the body down into systems. And so a lot of people go to the gut. I think with good intentions first, and it's an easy target to quick changes. But if you break the body down, there's kind of a neuroendocrine system first where that's the brain's communication to adrenals, to thyroid, to sex hormones, to energy production, all those types of things. And and when the body's overburdened in that area, that puts the body in a state of tissue breakdown, and that's where the gut comes into play because it's an easy target of it's a thin layer. And so... If the body needs resources to keep up the demand from this neuroendocrine aspect of stress and toxicity and negative emotions and all this type of thing, the gut gets affected and will switch to more of a primary immune response opposed to a digestive response. And then, I mean, that can be part of a reason for the leaky gut aspect of it. And then when that gets overburdened, 
then usually the liver detox system gets overburdened and then just cycles out. So most will start with, hey, I'm going to detox, and it's not a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it's good intention. I think it's just out of sequence. Mm-hmm. Or be like, hey, I'm going to start with the gut and try to, I don't know, eat a ton of fermented food and whatever it is, and they make a great results. But if they get hung up, then we have to keep looking upstream a little bit more. And I think when we start focusing more on the neuroendocrine aspect of adrenals and neurotransmitters and those types of things, that's where I've seen the breakthrough more with, with people getting the results that they're looking for. Good. Awesome. I think it's a great resource for those of you that weren't aware of, of how Kurt's able to help you guys out from that standpoint. Um, definitely hit him up when you see him in the gym or you know reach out to him at his office. He's extremely knowledgeable, and um, I've seen some incredible things happen with a couple of the clients that he's worked with that are also members at Continuum, and they've seen great results. Um, from a nutrition coaching standpoint, if you're just trying to figure out how to how to get started, how to move in the right path, how to get your family on point with nutrition, um, you know, seek out some nutrition coaching at Continuum. That's a, a new thing that we've added into the mix. And um, we're seeing some phenomenal results when we start with nutrition first, and then we build the CrossFit program on top of that. Some incredible things are taking place, and we're seeing health markers dramatically improved and just the physique's completely different. But just keep in mind that everything that we do with our kids, with ourselves, should always be nutrition-focused first. What are we putting into our bodies? How can we help you move into the, into the right direction if you're not there yet? Cool. Awesome. Thanks for listening, guys.